Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thanks for tuning in. I have motivational speaker, strongman, author, coach, and now podcaster, Dave the Iron Tamer Whitley. Dave, thank you for joining me on the podcast, man. Thanks for having me on here. I uh, I do want to pre-qualify that. I'm, I'm dipping my toe in the podcast waters, and the way that it's working right now is... I'm, I'm interviewing people and I'm making solo episodes the same way and I'm exclusively doing it on YouTube. So I'm actually calling it a YouTube show. I want to okay. see if it's something I want to keep going with and if I enjoy it. And if it is great, I'll start looking at putting it on all the different platforms and all that. But right now I'm, I'm just uh, dipping my toes in that water. And so far it's been great. It's been fun. I've only been doing it for a few weeks, but um, yeah, it's fun stuff. Well, congrats on the new endeavor. I'd, I'd like to start off by because we haven't met, but I've known about you for a long time about, uh, I guess, explaining how you came into my field of awareness. This is going back to, I'm going to estimate here, but I think it was around 2012 when sure. me along with, I would say a significant pocket of the fitness world became borderline obsessed with kettlebells as they started to gain popularity in the States. Um, largely due to, you know, Pavel and mm -hmm. and crew. And um, I remember watching videos of you back in the day do some pretty extreme feats of strength, like um, bending all sorts of metal objects, uh, hammering nails through wood where you were the hammer, driving <laughs> yeah. like holding nails. I remember, I, I think maybe like, Pairing books or decks of cards is is mm -hmm. that correct? Like sure. all kinds of um, I don't know. I guess there's like an interesting um area of the strength world with this. I don't want to say novelty, but you know, fringe. You know, very different forms of strength than what most people have in their mind when they mm -hmm. think of it, and they think of barbells and whatnot. Right. And um, and I think you were kind of one of the higher ups in, and I don't know if you still are in that organization that was really helping, not just spreading the message of uh, a new view of how to look at strength training, but also um, really being like growing into this certifying body that was empowering a large section of the fitness world to helping their clients through these um, not new modalities, but new ways of looking at these old modalities, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's and, um, a, yeah, 
So it's an honor to meet you face to face. I I appreciate you um, giving me that introduction. I, um, you know, you said 2012, which that was like two years ago, right? No, (laughs) Um, I, I realized last year that 2023 marked the 20th year since I went through my initial kettlebell certification in 2003. So, um, I'm not still with any of those organizations. It it was initially the RKC, the Russian Kettlebell Challenge, right. with, with Pavel Sotsling and through Dragon Door. And then in 2012, actually, um, there was a parting of the ways between Dragon Door, which was the parent company, and Pavel, which was the, the guy who was the head of the intellectual property aspect of it. And Pavel started an organization called Strong First. And I was with them up until 2016 when I when I got out and I was at the the level that was known as master instructor at the time. So you had the guy in charge, which was Pavel and the, uh, the, the chief instructor. And then there were a group at the time of maybe 10 or 12 of us who were those master instructors. And we were um, qualified and authorized to teach certifications on our own. And it was part of the, the business model for, for Pavel was to grow it to the point that he didn't have to be at every event. And so he had delegated that off to us. I parted ways with them in 2016 um, for a number of reasons. There, some good, some bad. But uh, I don't. It that's all in the past. I really don't air dirty laundry or anything like that anymore. So um, I'm grateful for my time, the the 13 years that I spent involved in that organization or those two organizations. I'm grateful for the people that I connected with. I'm especially grateful for the knowledge that I was able to gain and the. Um, emphasis on not just taking the knowledge that I gained, but expanding on it and then passing it on to the next group of people. So very grateful for that. If we, if if I may, the quick backstory on me, the short version of it is when I was a kid, little kid, I'm 54 years old now. When I was a little kid, I was overweight, had a terrible stutter and would just completely freak out if I got called on in class to answer a question or do a book report or like stand up in front of the class. Um, this being the 1970s, um, I was subsequently picked on a lot more than than I should have been, and less attention was paid to that. I don't think there's any less picking on of young kids happening now. I think that it's just more in the forefront, and it's just not as socially acceptable anymore, you know. Um, so uh, I don't say that to, like, you know, play my tiny violin. That's just where I come from. And then... Because of that, with an extroverted personality, but also being picked on, I was there was like this whirl of things that were going on in my mind that um, didn't match up with each other and didn't lead very many productive places. So one of the things that I became very um, enamored of was comic books and science fiction and fantasy and all that sort of stuff, particularly superheroes that had superhuman strength. And my number one guy was the Hulk. Now, I knew in my little child mind that that was a comic book, that was a cartoon, that wasn't reality. But then Lou Ferrigno came on television, and in my little child mind, I'm like, wait a minute, that's a real guy. And I knew that he had makeup and and prosthetics and, and all of that sort of stuff on, but that was him. He wasn't in a costume. And... um this was, you have to keep in mind, this was before anyone knew who Arnold Schwarzenegger was. This was before Arnold's movie career, before he became a super megastar. And it was when bodybuilding and lifting weights and fitness and health in general were still a fringe subculture activity. You didn't just, you know, turn on TV and see a huge muscular guy. 
And obviously there was no internet or anything like that. So you weren't co constantly bombarded with these, you know, massive um, muscular physiques or these big men who were super strong and lifting ponderous weights, you know, like Eddie Hall and, and Hafthor Bjornsson and all those guys. So it was a very, very radical concept for my little child mind. And so the first thing that I did was get the classified ads of the newspaper and start looking for a way to find gamma radiation to bombard myself with, because I didn't know any better, right? I didn't know anything else. But, but then I saw the movie Pump and Iron, which had Ferrigno in it, which is what drew me to it. And it also had Arnold and Franco Colombo and all the, the great bodybuilders of their day. And I'm like, oh, the way that they do this is they lift things and that makes them stronger. What a novel concept. So I got a set of weights for Christmas. That started me on my strength journey when I was probably nine years old, something like that. And here I am decades later and strength has been my profession for the longest time. And part of that, when I say strength, I don't just include physical strength i include the mindset behind it and something that was instrumental in me developing the mindset got involved in kettlebells like i said 20 years ago and that sort of put me on the looking back into the past of what did the old guys do you know and that happened right as the internet became a thing and so now suddenly i can go like look up i could go on yahoo or ask jeeves because there was no google at the time look for kettlebell stuff and Eventually, stuff started popping up, old photos of guys like Arthur Saxon or Sig Klein lifting these old kettleballs or kettleweights or kettlebells, whatever they happen to be called um, in the particular um, publications or photos or whatever. And that turned me on to the idea of these old-time strongmen. Um, I know that from the very start, uh, there's been a huge influence in what Pavel did with the RKC and Strong First on developing strength based on a lot of the methods that they use. I know that uh, Herman Gerner was mentioned in some of Pavel's earlier books. Sig Klein was, um, um, maybe George Jowett, lots of guys like that, that that you may or may not have ever heard of. And if you're interested in any of that stuff, there's a great website. I have, I, um, it's not an affiliate thing or anything like me. Just go check it out. It's superstrengthtraining.com. It's run by a guy named Bill Hinburn. And Bill's entire business for over 50 years has been publishing and selling strength-related books. He was friends with Reg Park. He has um, still to this day um, the original letters that he received from Bruce Lee when they was having correspondence back and forth with Bruce Lee when Bruce Lee was looking for um, strength-related material. So there's a wealth of old-school strength training material there, and that was a place that I wound up learning a great deal about how the old-timers train. I was fascinated and enamored of the bent press, um, which, uh, by the way, I, I wrote a book called Taming the Bent Press. It's on Amazon or whatever, if you want to go find it. Um, and there's also the website, tamingthebentpress.com. If you go there, I had created a um, companion video for the book. And, you know, it 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 sold like 30 copies straight out of the gate. <laughs> and then it kind of died down. And I'm like, this is but, a very targeted, very For the listeners thing. real quick, because I doubt many of our listeners know what a bent press is. This is a... It's as much as an art form or an expression of art and grace as it is a strength exercise. It and, truly um, is. Uh, it truly is. It, I fell in love with the not lift. something you generally see people do in the gym, but it is. Um, you know, I've some people are more familiar with like a a get up, like a Turkish get up. I almost mm -hmm. feel like the bent press picks up where the get up leaves off. Almost, dude, you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. I think I say something 
very similar to that in all these instructional materials that I did with the bent press. Um, that that okay, you got the get up now. The bent press sort of fulfills what the the get up starts, right? And so, like you said, it picks up where it left off. But um, the video that I did didn't sell very well, and I realized it was okay. It's a, it's a very niche thing, so I decided a few years ago I'm just going to give it away. So if you go to tamingthebentpress.com, there's okay. there's a 75 ish minute long video that represented everything that I understood about the bent press at that time. And it was meant to be a companion to the book. So some things, as you know, if you're, if you're ever working with people, you can convey very well and very easily in written form. Some things you have to have a visual example to get the message across fully. And so that's why I created the video in the first place. Um, you don't have to buy the book to, for the video to make sense. The video works standalone or it works as a companion and it's there for free. So by all means, taming T A M E R. T-A-M-I-N-G, Taming the Bent Press, um, and that's uh, .com, and that's a, a a nod to the the stage name that I was given as a strong man, as Iron Tamer, right? Um, so through all of that, I got enamored of the, the old-time strongman, and I met a guy named Dennis Rogers, who is a, a grandmaster strongman. He's a small guy. He's about 5'8", and he's in his mid-60s now, but when he was in his prime and he was out performing feats of strength for a living on a stage in front of people. And there was, there were several years that he did over 200 shows a year. I mean, that was his thing. Um, I saw this little um, kind of skinny looking guy bend an adjustable wrench on video. And it just didn't make sense to me. I'm like, how is this a thing? Um, we had gotten in contact through a mutual friend, the um, late great Bud Jeffries, who is a legend if you don't know Bud, go look up Bud. He he left this world a couple of years ago, but um, he was a, one of the most phenomenal strength athletes and one of the best strength minds that I've ever run across. But um, Dennis taught me to be a performing strongman, um, wound up actually teaching old-time strongman university workshops with Dennis for several years um, where we would get guys – girls too, we would get people to come in and we would teach them the feature we were talking about earlier, bending, bending nails, bending steel bars, ripping decks of cards in half, uh, driving a nail through a board without a hammer, uh, bending horseshoes, those sorts of things. And we would also teach them how to take whatever their life was, their experience, turn that into a story so that they could then use these feats of strength to get on a stage, entertain people, inspire people, educate people, and ultimately become a professional performer. Um, so it's interesting that that initially you said something about these being fringe activities, and they are in this day and age for sure. But if we follow the timeline back, lifting kettlebells, bent pressing, these these odd lifts that you might see, things like you know hack lifts or Jefferson squats, stuff like that, those were mainstream lifts 120 years ago, 130 years ago. And everything that we see in the fitness world now evolved out of that. And a lot of that stuff was largely forgotten. I believe because some of the stuff like the bent press, there's a technical component to it that really you need to have someone who knows what they're doing to be there, eyes on, to keep you safe, to to learn the, the foundational correctness of the movement. And if you look up bent press on the internet, like on YouTube or whatever, you go and you find some, you know, some people who know what they're doing. And you find some people who are imitating that, but they're they're not able to, they don't know what they're doing because they haven't had any instruction. And so they'll call it a bent press and it's it's not even close really, you know. Um, so yeah, that, that goes for a lot of the more technical sure. nuanced activities in the fitness world where if you don't understand the 
fundamental concepts that you're trying to express, you're, you're, you're quite possibly just going through some kind of motion, but sure. you're not really expressing something more foundational through that activity. And, um, and for many people, they won't notice. And for many people, they don't care. And right. that's okay. And that's fine. But, that's fine. but some people like to nerd out <laughs> right. on, on the details for sure. Right. Um, yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So you went, so you have this um, fairly extensive history of learning about strength mm -hmm. to the point where you're performing it, you're teaching it, you're teaching it at a very high level. You're writing books on the topic. Mm -hmm. And then you recently started um, advancing the Advancing Man Project. Mm -hmm. it, um, you're, you're unwilling to commit to say you're really doing, but I consider you doing it. I <laughs> um, talk. Can you expand on that transition? Like what? Where's how was that gap filled going from okay. this? Um, this very like wise, experienced uh, mind in the strength and strength teaching world to, um, I guess, to summarize, trying to get dads to be the best dad they can be. Yeah, so it seems sort of unrelated when you when you don't understand the whole story. But um, once I understood and had been mentored by Dennis, and and I hope everyone has a coach in whatever they're attempting to get better at. If, if you don't, go find one because you can learn from someone else's mistakes and shortcut that stuff with a good coach or a good mentor. Dennis fast-tracked me into being a performer. And one of the things that really was a pivotal moment, you know, how you can look back over your life and, and you can identify a moment that m the entire trajectory of my life changed at that moment. And it brought me from, from where I was before that to, you know, you, you, you measure time with it. Like there's stuff that happened before that and stuff that happened after that. We think in terms of, you know, getting married or having a child, there's, there's before that and there's after that. One very pivotal moment was when I was training in person with Dennis Rogers and the, the feet that you referenced earlier, where you drive the nail through the board without a hammer I had a huge mental hangup on that feat. And I had the hangup on the feet because one of the, the earliest memories that I had of seeing it was a, a DVD that Dennis had sent me. And he's like, this isn't public. I'm not going to release it, but I wanted you to see it. And so it was uh, him at a show live with cameras on. And um, I'll spare the details. There was an equipment malfunction is the best Ooh. way to put it. There was, there were several things that, that lined up that caused this to happen. And he went back and figured it all out. But as he went to drive the nail through the board and the car license plate and the frying pan that was all stacked up on top of each other, <laughs> very difficult feat to do. As he went to do that, the pad, we, we, we use a particular kind of pad. It, well, we take a washcloth and fold it up and, and that's how you can, um, had for the nail driver and that's what he was doing it, it, he had done it so many times it was basically a wad of thread and then there were some other issues with the way the setup was that wasn't his normal setup short version is he wound up with the head of the nail embedded in his palm and when i caught it on camera caught the trip to the emergency room on camera caught the extraction of the nail on camera and then like two days later he's showing his hand on on the camera and he's like it looks like a baseball glove right and he's like it's feeling better though so i'm gonna see if i can rip a phone book and he rips his <laughs> massive phone book which for you young kids out there it used to be if you wanted to know somebody's phone number there was this giant book <laughs> that had everyone's numbers in it right and um it was like a ream of printer paper even bigger 
but he had a, like a Dallas phone book, which was huge. And he riffed it and it took him like 20 seconds to do. And normally it would take him like six or seven. He's like, it took longer than it usually does, but it's feeling better. He completely recovered. Now I, this is lodged into my mind as I'm practicing this feat. And, and to do that particular feat, you have to have complete and total confidence. You have to have complete and total commitment. You cannot hold back. I was not doing any of those things fully because I would consciously tell myself, yes, I'm fully committed. I'm going for it. I'm giving everything I got full speed ahead, but I could feel myself slowing down. And it was a mental block. It was a pure and simple mental block. Went and trained with Dennis and he talked to me about it. And he's like, okay, logically, we know we've taken all the safety precautions. Your technique's good. You're strong enough to do this. The only possible thing that is getting in the way is your own mind. And he said, I can still hear his voice saying it. You must remove all doubt, fear, and limitation from your mind because your mind is controlling your body. I'm like, hmm, that's some solid stuff. So I went, being someone who has um, experience with, you know, meditation and, and breathing exercises, that sort of stuff. I decided the way to do this was through a visualization. So I went literally at this workshop that there was three or four other guys there. I went and sat down in the corner, kind of pulled a, a hoodie over my head or maybe it was a towel. I don't know, but I, I like isolated myself and got myself very relaxed and imagined myself taking this nail and there was no board in front of me, but there was a balloon in front of me. And that was, a, that was a, a trick that he had told me to, for the mind, it's like you put a balloon underneath there. Don't think about the board. Just think about popping the balloon. In my visualization, I removed the board because anybody can take the pointy end of a nail and pop a balloon with it, right? There's nothing there to it. So I'm popping this balloon in my imagination for about 10 minutes. I get up and I go over and I grab all the, the gear. I go over to the board and I slam that nail into that board so hard and so far that it I like scraped my knuckles. So in the, in the, in the matter of 15, 20 minutes, what changed? Did my level of strength change? No. Did my technique change? No. Did the equipment change? No. The only possible explanation there is that the way that I was viewing this potential problem changed. And in doing so, the outcome changed. And I'm like, okay, if we step back from that and look at it, can we apply this to other areas of our lives? And so I started taking that same kind of idea with visualization and getting very clear on what the, the, end outcome was and applying it to things like my gym that I was running at the time. I was a gym owner or online training with clients, like, like building the business aspect of stuff. I started applying it to various relationships in my life. Like this person that I don't get along with very well, or that always seems to be doing something or saying something that's getting on my nerves. What would it be like if we had a good communication, if we had good relationships and my relationships started to improve, not because the other person changed, but because my perception, my perspective on it changed. I'm like, okay, well, this is working all the way across the board. It's time to start field testing it. So I started playing with visualization and various things like that. Read a lot of books about how the mind works from um, the same period of time as a lot of the strength people that I followed from, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. Guys like Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich and a bunch of other stuff. Wallace Waddles, who wrote The Science of Getting Rich, which sounds like it's a book about money, and it is. But it's more about prosperity and abundance and about living a full life right? Wealth is not measured solely in dollars. Um, and Neville Goddard is a huge influence on me for that on imagination and imagination creating reality. Uh, Maxwell Maltz, who wrote Psycho-Cybernetics. So I started studying all that stuff. And I started applying all this stuff to various aspects of my life and developed the sort of visualization routine that I would do. And ultimately, that led to me writing the book, Superhuman You, which is 
part biographical, um, my journey as a strong man, and part um, goal achievement, um, personal development, visualization technique stuff that you can put to use. Like there's literally pages in there that have blank spots that you can write stuff in or print off and write stuff in. And so as I continue to develop as a performer, my my target market stopped being just, oh, I'm going to go do this entertaining show. I'm going to, I switched it to, I'm going to go and start becoming a motivational inspirational speaker and use these feats of strength to drive the point home. No pun intended with the nail drive, right? Um, so the feats became a vehicle to deliver the message and the message is more important than the feats is where I wound up with. And I've, I've told people many times, I'm not the strongest strong man out there. I'm not the, the, the one who's been on TV the most or been in front of the most crowds or done the most shows. But I do feel like I am the one who has crafted a message together that helps people. And I can get up and talk about that. And people will come up and they'll say nice things to me after the show about how much it meant. And, you know, that makes me feel good. So um, if you're interested in learning any, about any of that stuff, I've got some some sites that are available. there, like how to rip a deck of cards dot com. There's a course um, <laughs> old time strongman university. Um, that's a, a thing that, that we do that um, the last workshop that Dennis and I did together was in 2020 in January, right before the world stopped moving. And um, that was his last one. And he's like, I'm done with this. I'm effectively retiring. This is your thing now. Go take it and make it bigger. So part of what I, where I'm headed with that is to make that a bigger online thing. So oldtimestrongmanuniversity.com is the thing where you can get more information about all that sort of stuff. And um, this particular book, I decided that it would be a good thing. I wanted enough people to to receive the message that it's still for sale on like Amazon and Lulu. But if you want a copy of it, if you go to superhumanubook.com, I'll send it to you for free. I just ask that everyone pay shipping and, and my printing costs and all that sort of stuff. So um, there's a nominal fee there. So it's, it's, it's not free, free, but it's free. You pay for the shipping. Okay. And um, from so, there. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and, and, uh, all of that provides context for the, the answer to the question that, that you asked, right? So um, I, I told you before we started, sometimes I ramble. So that superhuman you thing evolved into a pure personal development coaching program that I was doing. And the book was, I wrote it in 2015 or 2016 and heavily influenced by my friend and mentor, a guy named Dr. Joe Vitale, who was in the movie, The Secret. He's well known as being a, um, a spiritual marketing and author person, right? Um, understanding how the mind works. So Joe encouraged me to write the book, challenged me to write the book actually. And I did. And that turned into this coaching program. And then after a very long, very trying experience with my wife and myself, wanting to have a child and not being able to have it happen, lots of trips to the fertility clinic and it's a long drawn out story and and a large part of it isn't mine to tell i'm i don't talk about it publicly because it's my son's story and he's only five and there are things that i don't want to expose about his you know arrival in the world without him being cognizant and aware enough to give consent to do that that's his story to tell so um, short version is there was a lot of difficulty, but when we found out that we were going to have a child, I'm like, okay, this is awesome. This is great. Also, I am freaking terrified now. I'm like <laughs> what, what a huge responsibility and what a huge blessing. I'm like, okay, knowing what I know about the mind, I know that those formative years between birth and about age seven, their brains are sponges and, and their mirror neurons are doing things. And so I started thinking about, okay, how does the brain develop? How does the mind develop? How does a child develop? 
And I thought, okay, the most important thing I can do right now, if we take the ideas that we would use in fitness or movement or, or any sort of goal setting stuff, it's like, okay, what end result do I want? My, my primary thing is whatever he winds up doing, I want him to be um, uh, a healthy, well-balanced, emotionally mature adult. I want him to have his stuff together and to be able to, to accept challenges and to stand up for himself and to help people and, you know, all these characteristics. So, well, I'm going to write down a list of qualities that I, that I want him to embody. And I'm going to write down a list of values that I want, not, not for him to embody, but that are important to me that I want to make sure he's exposed to, right? So I write out this list and I look at it objectively and I'm like, well, I'm falling, falling short on about two thirds of this list. I need to be this guy so that he sees that guy. He was teaching I, you before he was here. Absolutely. That's a, that's yes. He was teaching me all about life before he even arrived here. And so I set about doing that for myself and had some experiences with some of my personal development clients. Um, particularly one in particular, we, we had a call for a meeting, a regular coaching call. How's it going? He's like, I'm not doing well today. I'm like, well, tell me what happened. Cause we had like specific physical goals and, and, and financial goals that he was working towards. He was doing great with that stuff. He said, well, I was supposed to go to my son. His son was like five, maybe six years old at the time. I was supposed to go to his soccer game last night. And I promised him that I would. And as I was leaving the office, I checked the phone, got a, an emergency email. And he air quoted emergency. He's like, well, I can knock this out in a couple of minutes and still make it home in time. So he goes back in, sits at his computer. And like 45 minutes later, he still doesn't have this thing resolved. And so he's like, ah, damn it. So he picks up the phone. He calls home. His wife puts the little boy on the phone. He says, buddy, I'm really sorry. Something came up at work. I'm not going to be able to make it to the game. And he's expecting his son to be a little upset about it. And what the, what the kid actually replied with was, well, that's okay, daddy. You never come to any of my games anyway. I'm used to it. Ooh, that's Hands the phone back to mama and goes. He's crushed, right? Because not only is he letting his son down, it's normalized. This is what his son expects from him. And then he had the realization my dad used to do that to me all the time, and I hated it. I don't want to be that way anymore. And I'm like, okay, let's look at where that where that stuff exists in your the programming of your subconscious, and let's go in and just rewrite that program. It's, it's simple, not easy, but simple. And so, you know, a few months later, the relationships are are healing, doing much better, all that sort of stuff. So I'm I'm thinking back on that time when my son's on the way. I'm like, okay. This is really important work. This is like the most important thing that I can do. So I start working on myself in that capacity. And it just naturally evolved that as my son got here and as he started growing up um, and I started working with a, a new business coach, he's like, what are you really into right now? And I was telling him about that. And he's like, does anything like that exist for other dads who are in that same position? And I'm like, not the way that I'm coming at it. And he's like, well, let's make a program out of that. And that's what the Advancing Man Project started out as. It's a coaching program for men who are doing pretty well in the gym. They're doing pretty well with their business and they've, they, they've figured out how the moving parts work and how to accomplish things in there. But then they find themselves reverting to whatever their upbringing was when they're con connect trying to connect with their children. And so it started out as addressing that. And I'm like, you know, at the, at the encouragement of several other people are like, this would make a great podcast. This, you know, this would be good stuff. And so I'm like, well, why not? So the Advancing Man Show or Advancing Man Project 
podcast, YouTube show, whatever we're calling it this week, because it's early January right now. And a year from now, I'm sure it's going to morph into something different. It started out as that idea. I'm going to bring people on and talk to them about their experience of breaking generational cycles of changing limited beliefs and, and, and negative thinking that they grew up with. And then I'm like, well, this is also a platform where I can go and talk about anything that I want to talk about. And so I'm talking about mental stuff, uh, mindset stuff. I'm talking about specific strength training stuff that has nothing to do with parenting. Um, I am confident that I'm going to wind up talking about doing a whole episode on Van Halen at some point, because that's something <laughs> that I'm into. Right. Um, and I'm like, okay, with technology being what it is, I've got these experiences. I know from the people that I've connected with, these experiences contain information that are valuable to other people. And why not put it out there? And if people love it, great. And if they don't, then I get to express myself, first of all. And more important than that, I get to connect with people who know more or are better at things that I'm interested in, get them on the show, and I'm able to learn and grow as an individual. And I'm able to say, okay, this person is the premier expert on this subject. I'm talking to him on the show today. And if you've never heard of him, this is where he comes from. Here's an introduction to him. Go check out his stuff. So I saw it as just a complete win, win, win all the way around. And so I'm talking to, I've, I've got a few interviews that I've done that are, that are, you know, in the hopper ready to come out and I'm, I'm dripping those out. I don't want to like throw, you know, two dozen things out all at one time. I'm doing some solo style episodes that go along with that where I'm talking about whatever relevant topics we have there. And if anybody who's connected with me or becomes connected with me as a result of this has a topic that you think I'd really like to hear Dave's perspective on this, or I'd really like to see Dave talk to this person about it, or I'd love to talk to Dave. I think that his audience could benefit from what I know. Reach out to me, just email me at irontamer at gmail.com and let me know. And we'll figure out a way to, to make that happen. I, I would love cool. to have it. I see, have you on the show. I see it as nothing but an opportunity for everyone to grow. And so that is becoming the thing that the majority of my energy is going into right now. That's great, Dave. I think it's a fantastic topic. And it sounds you. like um, you have a clear idea in what is important there to uncover and spread. You also have a great voice, man. Thank you. Um, generational cycle. You, you mentioned that that resonates with me. Um, I know that I've, you know, parenting has been a, uh, like a big priority of of mine too, trying to be a good father. And it's interesting, like there's a, a flip side to every coin. So there was a time where I would recognize the things that I felt my dad felt fell short with for me. And then as I matured and got like a greater perspective of really like the human condition in general, and how everybody's a product of the cumulative momentum of all the moments prior and that everybody's doing the best they can with the tools they have in that moment mm -hmm. i was able to get a lot of gifts out of those things like one of them just being i know what i don't want to do to my son i know how when my son is experiencing this, I want to show up for him because I knew exactly what I didn't like mm -hmm. when I was in that scenario. Um, were there, when you say generational cycle, do you, does this, is this born out of some type of pain point between like with, and you know, you don't have to delve into this if you don't want to, but your relationship with your father, where 
you felt like there were things you needed, you didn't get, and now you're trying to right the ship going forward for future generations? There's definitely an element of that. Um, and to go back to the thing that you said a minute ago, uh, you're right. Everyone's doing the best they can with the tools they have at the moment based on the programming that they have, right? That's just, if if we understand that, we understand that this person probably isn't deliberately trying to screw me over or trying to mess me up. They're probably not deliberately doing something like that. It's just that is their experience. That's their perception of the world, and they're doing what they can with it. Um, my parents, both of them, um, they're both gone now, but they both were born um, in the 1930s, and they grew up rural Georgia um, with a very, very strict um, go to church. Like my my grandfather, both my grandfathers were preachers, and and there was a lot of just heavy handed disciplinarianism. A lot of, of of children should be seen and not heard. They grew up with a lot of that stuff, and I remember um, after. Um, I was old enough to understand what was going on. I was talking to my mom one day and and I never got spanked. I never got smacked around or anything like that, but it was a common thing. And I mean, like, like they, for some reason, there was this tradition of if it's your birthday, you have to get spanked that many times on your birthday. Right. Just <laughs> which, which I, I know exists in some pockets of different cultures. I don't know where that comes from, but it's an interesting social commentary there. Right. It's interesting. <laughs> and so I was talking to my mom. I don't even remember why I was talking to her. I was probably 12, 13 years old at the time. I was talking to my mom about it. And she told me, and I'd forgotten about this until I had a conversation with my sister around the time that my my dad had passed away. And we were, you know, going through everything and kind of reflecting on our own childhoods because she's uh, eight years older than me. And my mom told me that she had made a promise to herself that whenever she had children, she would never backhand slap them the way she was when she was a kid. And she was also, uh, uh, she had, I don't know, five or six brothers. Um, you know, I got aunts and uncles that are on that side of the family that I grew up not knowing. And looking back on it now, I realize I don't know them because they got away from that. And we didn't spend a whole lot of time around them because those people were in, in general toxic like that. But, you know, she was as a, as a sister supposed to do whatever the brothers said. It was a very misogynistic, type environment, just a lot of just straight up traditional generational ignorance that was going on there. This is just the way we've always done it. And that's by God, the way we're going to keep doing it because that's the way we do it, you know? And I believe that, that at this point now that tradition like that is just um, peer pressure from dead people, right? But that, that stuff doesn't service in this world we're in now. So that sort of stuff I, I, I grew up with and, and looking back now, I see that there was a lot of stuff that they course corrected, that I didn't inherit, that they did. So they sort of set the stage for that. Now, having said that, the two big things in my family growing up was there was no emphasis on health at all. We grew up, you know, if, if it could be fried, then it was fried and you would eat it. I mentioned earlier that I was an overweight kid. Well, we also had the, the, the sort of culture around food. It's like, it's a holiday, let's eat. Um, I'm bored, let's eat. I feel awesome. Let's celebrate by eating. Oh, you feel sad? Here, eat this. It'll make you feel better. So that was like, that was the antidote to almost everything. Um, so there was that. And no, you know, it was weird when I wanted to set a weights for Christmas. Not just to my parents, but like to everyone around me. It was weird. Um, and, you know, to, to think back now that a, a kid asking to go get healthy and exercise and get stronger, that's a beautiful thing, right? But it was weird back when I did it. Um, 
And the other thing was they both grew up with very strong blue collar type work ethics of you sell your time for money, you go do a thing for someone else and they will pay you for it. And then money's scarce, money's tight, cling it, cling to it, hang on to it because someone's going to try to either steal it from you or scam you out of it or or like I remember my mom being very excited when she would go to the store and something would be on sale and it would be like a can of pork and beans for 39 cents instead of 59 cents and you know if you translate that to now it's probably like three dollars versus two dollars two dollars versus three dollars but it, that was a big deal to her and so there was a lot of that scarcity mentality that once I got older and realized that I'm not really well suited to work for another person and that I have things that I want to bring value to and and to the world and I became more entrepreneurial with stuff. I'm like, okay, selling your time for money has a very definite ceiling on it. And it's not very helpful for people. But if I can solve problems and get paid to solve people's problems, there's no limit to that, right? I can help people, they get better and I get paid as a result of it. Um, so I adopted that entrepreneurial mindset and my dad was quite proud of it. Um, there were many times growing up that he would be, he would have this idea and he said, that's, that's a million dollar idea. And I'm like, okay, are you going to do it? Yeah, maybe. I don't know someday. And then like six months or a year later, someone's on an infomercial doing the thing. And he's like, see, I told you. And I didn't want to be that guy. And we had a very good relationship at the end, really my whole life. But at the end, um, um, two adult men who were able to, to look at that sort of situation. And um, I actually helped him get his mind in a different perspective on some things like that after I was able to do it. So that was, you know, a, a huge honor and felt great to me. Um, he passed were, away. Were your parents still together at the end? Yes. Yes. Yeah. My mom passed, uh, 10 years ago, um, in December, you know, this past December and my dad, it'll be May of this year will be four years. Um, they, um, where was I going with that? Oh, the, the, um, my mom, her health decline. Um, she, like her mind kind of went a little bit at the end as, as happens sometimes to people when they get older and they're getting toward the end. My dad's mind was super sharp right until the very, very end. It's just his body failed him. And a couple of days, maybe three days before he passed away, I went and spent the day with him. And we had just one-on-one -on -one the whole afternoon and everyone knew what was up. We all knew that, you know, this could happen any second now, probably for sure within the week. And we talked about everything that needed to be talked about. We healed everything that needed to be healed. Um, and one of the things my son was 18 months old at the time is he was, and, and my son is the only um, male grandchild that he has. So when my son was born, my dad, it meant a lot to him that the name would be carried on. Um, so here's my son. Right. And he, he asked me that that afternoon to do two things for him. Um, one was to make sure that my son, knew who he is or knew who he was and knew about him as he grows up. And the, uh, and I, of course, he said, promise me that. I said, I absolutely, I promise. He said, I got something else I want you to promise me. I said, what is it? He says, I want you to be a better dad for him than I was for you. And I'm like, but you, you did great. And he's like, no, I know, I know what I did well. I know what, where I messed up. I want you to be better for him than I was for you. Will you promise me that? And so like, Part of that coaching program for the Advancing Man Project is literally me honoring my dad's dying wish. And I don't know if you can hear my voice right now. I Every time I talk about it, I choke up a little bit. And uh, which, interestingly enough, to that point, is one of the things that I help guys with. It's like the ability to, to express an emotion in a healthy way. Like I can be sad over this and 
and it's okay to talk about it. You know, so many men, they get sad about something and it expresses itself as anger. They get scared about something and express itself as anger because we have that spirit crushed in us because, you know, stop crying like a little girl. Men don't cry. Boys don't cry. You know, all of that sort of stuff. And those are some of those societal generational cycles that exist across the board that we just inherit, right, from, from society. Men are, men are supposed to be strong. Well, which one requires more strength? to bottle up my emotions and not ask for help and then die of a heart attack at age 47 or to admit my own vulnerability and ask for help and say, I'm strong enough to admit that I'm not able to carry this by myself and I need to change so that my children don't inherit that. That is the very seriousness of how the Advancing Man Project started. And like I said earlier, it's 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 evolved now and and that's definitely part of it. But now I'm doing things like when I bring people on the show, I had a, I had a woman on the, the first woman that I interviewed um, was last week, and she is a breastfeeding and lactation consultant at a very high level. And that was something I knew nothing about when, when our son was born. We had to learn that as we went. And I'm like, how many um, new dads or dads with very young kids know nothing about that? And they're off in a Facebook group with a bunch of other dads asking questions, trying to get help to their wife who's experiencing some sort of difficulty around breastfeeding. Like, what if what if we just go to the experts and bring them in? And so part of what I'm doing with that is it's it's I would say it's even more important, not just equally important, but even more important to have have an expert on for something like that, for someone who's looking for that kind of information for their baby, as it is to have someone on who's like, okay, here is the optimal way to deadlift so that you can move the biggest amount of weight and keep yourself healthy as you go along. Here's how to program that stuff. To me, all of that stuff is about me expressing my life in such a way that I'm able to continually expand and able to to convey what Wallace Waddles called the law of increase, which is making the world a better place, right? And we hear that all the time in, from a business standpoint that like, if I run my business in such a way that if you pay me a certain amount and I provide you with a perceived value that's worth more than what you paid me, I will always have customers. And that was, that was a linchpin moment of my own parenting philosophy. It was like, what if I apply that to being a dad? What if every single day with every single interaction that I have with my son, my, my underlying purpose is I want to leave him better off after this interaction with me than he was before it. What are, what are some of the interventions that you find yourself um, taking part in, in those, in those interactions with your son that you feel are different because you've kind of shined that light of awareness of that's what your, your intention is. Like what, what do you think you do differently when you engage with your son, knowing that your goal is to, um, you know, have him kind of better off from that um, interaction? I can give you specific examples is probably sure. the easiest way to do that. Um, one very specific example um, not last year, but the year before my son was three, my dad's birthday is December 12th. And, um, I had this thing in the way that my mind works that when dates pop up, if there's something associated with it, I remember it. I remember people's birthdays. I remember anniversaries. I remember things like the movie predator came out on June 12th, 1987. Why is that useful? It's not, but I know it's there. Right. Um, <clears throat> and 
on my dad's birthday, I was feeling the the weight of of him not being there, especially as we're going into Christmas, especially with me promising him I'm going to make sure that my son is aware of, of who he was and what kind of man he was. And I was just feeling it. And my son, whom we've always encouraged to openly express his emotions, and he's getting to the age at that point where he's three, that he's becoming more and more verbal. He's becoming more and more aware of what's going on around him. He says, Daddy, why does your face look like that? Interesting question, right? And so I kind of perked up and was paying attention. And, and, you know, I didn't know what he meant. And I said, what do you mean, buddy? How does my face look? And he kind of really intently studies me. And he says, you look sad. Are you sad? And I said, well, yeah, I am a little sad. Why are you sad, daddy? And so at that moment, I had the choice between... No, daddy's fine. It's nothing to worry about and shut it down and hold it in, which was actually what I felt like doing. That was my initial pull because of the whole men don't cry conditioning that I didn't necessarily get from my dad, but I got from society as a whole growing up. Um, but what I chose to do instead with, with that principle in the back of my mind is like, I'm just going to tell him how I feel. I tell him, if you're feeling something, it's okay to talk to me about it. I would be, I would be lying and being, you know, fraudulent if I didn't do that in return to him. And so I explained it to him that it was my daddy's birthday. It was his grandpa's birthday, that his grandpa died. And that means that his body quit working and he's gone now and I'll never get to see him again. And I won't be spending Christmas with him and he won't get to know you. And that makes me sad. And so through all of that, I'm sitting, I'm, I'm tears running down my face. I'm sniffling. I'm, you know, just a blubbering, crying man expressing this and it only took me like 30 or 40 seconds to explain it to him and he looks at me and he says oh okay and goes on about his business right <laughs> and and which was interesting because i realized what i had done there is normalize i don't feel well and i'm talking about it to another person who's showing genuine interest in how i'm feeling that wasn't a strange concept to him. He didn't think it was odd or weird or bad that daddy was sad and crying and upset. And I'm like, how powerful is that? That that when he gets older and, you know, he's 13, 14, 15 years old, and he's around a bunch of other boys and they're saying stuff like, don't cry, don't be a little bitch or whatever. He's going to know that that's not the right way or that's not the best way, I should say, that it's okay to express emotion. And because if we look at at things like men's mental health, how many, how many men, dads in particular, suffer with mental health, depression, anxiety, suicide? Because if we go back, they've been have had it hammered in throughout their entire childhood, don't express this feeling. And if you have, if you if you're sad or if you're afraid, don't express that. But it's okay to be angry because men get shit done, right? And so any unwanted or un unpleasant emotion winds up getting expressed as anger. And I feel pretty confident that, that that's not going to be something that he has to deal with. Like so many of the rest of us did. So that's like a big, heavy example of it. Right. Um, but then there's also things like, uh, that are, that are happier or, or, or more pleasant than that. Um, we've never forced him to share anything. Because I want him to know that his stuff is his and he has autonomy over it. Because the idea of like forcing a, a three or four year old to share a toy because, you know, sharing is the right thing to do. Let's see if that applies to, to a grown up model, right? Let's imagine that, that you're like sitting in a coffee shop and you're, you've got your headphones on and you're working on your, your whatever, you know, your, 
editing your podcast or, or whatever, you're sitting there like that. And some other random person comes over and says, I need to use your computer. You have to share it with me. Give it to me right now. And you're like, no. But if yeah. someone else came up and forced you to do that, like, does that make any sense? So I think that there's a lot of unrealistic expectations that are put on kids that come from a place of genuinely wanting them to grow into a, a healthy adult, but it doesn't make sense if you tried to apply it to an adult. And also it doesn't line up with their brain development because the the frontal cortex, which is responsible for decision-making and, and all of these um, more advanced cognitive functions doesn't fully develop in humans until we're in our twenties. And so if a, if a, a child like mine, this happened, it happened literally yesterday. He was, you know, my wife, we're both self-employed. She's in her office trying to work. He's trying to bust through the door to get in there to see her. Um, and he's getting upset about it. And it would be very easy to be like, no, get back out here. I'm going to punish you in whatever way. If you go in there again, blah, 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 blah. But what we actually did was like, I said, Liam, it's not the same as Liam. I said, Liam, what is it that, that's going on right now? Are you missing mommy and you want to go in and see mommy? He said, yeah. And I said, what if we ask mommy if you can go in and give her a big, big hug for 30 seconds? And then when she finishes in half an hour, she can come out and sit and hang out with you for a little bit. And we did that. And he was cool the whole rest of the time she was working. He didn't try to bust in there anymore. And so I left him better off there because I, I heard him where he was. I acknowledged that his feelings are valid and that what he wanted to be with his mother in that moment, because kids don't have a concept of time. He's still trying to figure out the difference between one minute, one second, and one year. It's just, you know, he, he he's trying to figure all that out. I honored where he was and I respectfully communicated him with like he was a full human, which he is, rather than just, you know, some partially developed thing that's running around. And when he gets to be 12 or 13, then we can have conversations. Um, so by honoring him where he is, we were able to validate him. And I believe that the, the real takeaway there is that he knows he has a voice. And if he knows he has a voice and that that voice is important and that he has needs and that there are people who are looking out for the needs that he has, that is ultimately going to build his self-confidence and his self-worth because what I have to say is important. And I'm saying it to you, and I want you to know how important it is. That's the essence of self-confidence, right? So um, just that's a couple of, of examples that just popped to my mind. And then, of course, there are other things that are um, less, uh, less heavy or less seemingly important or smaller deals like that. It's like um, yeah, I, th I, thought I was told. Oh, go ahead. I was I was told my entire childhood, don't jump on the bed, don't jump on the couch. Why? Well, just don't. My son, we play on the couch, jumping up and down on the couch almost every single day. Because why not? It's funny no? you say that. My in-laws were over. Uh, my uh, wife's brother and his family, he's got little kids. My kids are a little older. They're like 20 and 17 right now. And uh, they were over for dinner. And the little ones are, mm, let me maybe seven, five, and three, somewhere like that. And they're roughhousing a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, my brother-in-law, who is has um, his a tendency towards cleanliness, mm -hmm. um, you know, didn't want them, like, roughing stuff up. And I was like, no, no, no. Let them dirty the walls. Let them dirty the walls. And you could see him for a moment. There's this moment where he like saw what he was doing and realized like, oh, he, he doesn't need to be that strict. 
Mm -hmm. I was like, well, we could always paint them later. Sure. And it's like, we just had different upbringings. Like he, I could, I know because I know his family very well, Mm -hmm. like where he got that from. And then Mm -hmm. I know, I remember my mom when she knew we were going to be one day, uh, I don't know if it was like repainting or wallpapering. This is back in like the eighties. She let me and my sisters, she's like, here's a box of crayons. Like go to town. The house is a pal is, is your canvas or whatever. And for like a week, we drew all over the whole, <laughs> like hallways or bedroom, like everything. And it was like, in the moment, it was like a dream come true. It was like the coolest right. thing. Well, and, and- and and here we are all these years later, and that's a core memory from your childhood, right? Yeah. And that if we if we fast forward to your situation um with the the brother-in-law, you are able to to identify that and be like, they're kids. And you you helped him, right? Yeah. So like I want to see footprints. <laughs> yeah. Up high. How high can the footprints go up the wall? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's the essence of it, right. Meet them where they are and then encourage them to go further, right? Um, we don't let my son draw on the wall, but in my office right behind me, it's blurred because there's a bunch of stuff written on it. That entire wall behind me is painted in dry erase. And we will come down here sometimes and he'll be like, can I write on the wall? I'm like, sure. And some stuff will need to be erased. And I'm, and he's like, what, can I erase this part? And I'm like, yes. What about this part? I said, the part in blue, don't erase that. I'm not done with that, you know, for whatever reason. And so he'll erase, make room for himself, scribble all over the place, and he goes on about his business. So, like, when he has that urge, he knows that we can come down here, right? And we always find a way to um, to figure out where that urge can be channeled, right? Right. So, yeah, that's that's yeah. brilliant. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I want to go back I want to go back to something you said earlier, though, sure. um, because I, I recorded a, a short little YouTube um, the other day that is relevant to to what you said you we were talking about when we grew up the people that racist they did the best they could with what they had at the time right and i did i did a i don't know if it was a youtube or instagram whatever i did a short video the other day maybe it was instagram and i said if we think about the way that we say things to ourselves um the the inflection of the words conveys different feelings and the example that i used was how am i going to do this um, and I can be like, how am I going to do this? That sounds like I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I feel defeated before I start. But if we think, Hmm, how am I going to do this? That's problem solving mode, right? Yeah. And, very you know, different energy there. Very different energy. So I, th- the idea of they did the best they could with what they had, right? Or, or, or they, they did the best they could. If I say, well, parents did the best they could i there's there's a certain like suppression to that right but if i say you know what they did the best they could with the limited amount of stuff that they had now i'm 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 elevating them i'm honoring their because they didn't know what they were doing they just knew that they didn't want it to be the way that it was before and and my idea now is like okay if i don't want it to be the way it was before how is different because different can't just be i don't want it the way it was okay, how do you want it to be? We have to get clear on what we want. So, so I wanted to make sure that I said that because you said they did the best they could with what they had. And and there's multiple ways we can interpret that based on where we put the emphasis on it. And it's just all in how we look at it. So yeah. sorry, I interrupted you on whatever thought you were about to have, but there you go. It's our, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. You alluded a, a moment ago about the, the frontal cortex, like not mm-hmm. being developed and 
Like, I think that's so crucial. And as a parent, when your kid is really young and I messed up with this a thousand times um, because I wasn't really aware of this when my kids were that age. Plus I was uh, drinking. I stopped drinking like coming up on eight years. So they, you know, still like not in a good place mentally probably, but um, like simple tasks. And I don't remember what book I learned about this in, but I remember the idea of like, you'd go to, let's say you ask your kid to like clean their room and you go back like an hour later and they didn't. Mm -hmm. And saying something like, why didn't you clean your room? I asked you to clean your room an hour ago. Mm -hmm. And the disconnect between our intention and their interpretation is so great because of the stage their brain is. For instance, um, like my intention in that scenario would be, you want to inspire your child to value like that cleanliness. You sure. want to inspire them to want to keep a tidy room or whatever, but it's heard so differently because of the stage of their brain development where they might hear that as in some level, you know, if you dig down deep enough, like oh, I'm not good enough. You know, if I was good enough, in my dad's eyes, I would have cleaned my room an hour ago, but I didn't. So, you know, maybe I'm not worthy of his love or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's like total, like a massive gap between the intent and the interpretation. And it's not that they're interpreting that with their cognition. It's the, it's the felt experience. Right. It's just their subconscious is interpreting that and then not feeling good about themselves. And then over time, if that's done chronically, that will manifest in actions, behaviors, beliefs that, you know, are not ideal. Mm -hmm. um, and these things are, you know, there, you mentioned that window of like birth to seven and like, it is a very important window. And I've actually heard people argue like the dad should kind of stay away for that time. Like that's mom's time. And then when the dad's in the clear of less likely to screw them up, you know, come in at seven. I, mean, I don't think that's ideal, but it's just funny how some people might frame that. But um, there's something to be said about really being aware of what your intention is. And, and kind of like you said earlier, like visualizing what, um, what outcome do you really want? And then work backwards and it will dramatically change. Like instead of, you know, why didn't you clean room? I asked you to do it an hour ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know, kneeling down, looking them in the eye and say, like, I, I see you didn't clean your room. Is there any reason? Did you need any help? Oh, I just forgot. I got lost track of time. I'll do it now. Right. And it's like no big deal. There's no, um, you know, negative shot on their self-esteem or whatever that could uh, snowball into something problematic down the road for them. But yeah. it's such a fine line. It like, is a fine line. That's a really and, fine line. And we're as parents, like you're pretty much guaranteed to screw up your kid. Like you're guaranteed to screw up. Oh, you're going to make mistakes. Everyone yeah. does. Cause that's the human condition, right? I mean, there's, there are so many things that each of us, no matter how much work we've done on ourselves from a personal development standpoint, or people who've been to therapy, any of that sort of stuff, no matter how deeply we've gone into that, there are layers that we're not even aware of. And you can't fix something if you don't know that it's not working optimally. I don't really like to use the word broken because that implies, you know, I don't want anyone to think that they're broken. Just are they working from the optimal place, you know? Um, but but to the point that you made about uh, cleaning the room, 
why is it important to clean the room? And that's a question that I actually asked myself at one point. Like, why is it important that he clean his stuff up? It's not. It's not important that he clean his stuff up. What's actually important is what cleaning his room up is a symptom of. And my son loves to like help and clean stuff. So it it's a symptom of these are my things and I I am the steward of these things. I am to take care of these things. And if I want my things to last and to be in good condition, I treat my things well. And part of that is putting them back where they belong so that I don't accidentally trip over it or step on it and break it, right? Um, putting Cleaning up the room isn't important, but having an organized understanding clarity of how things are in my life that are part of a plan that I've made, that's important. And so like my son now, he will go in his room, get a toy out and play with it. When he's done, it's a 50-50 chance. Is he going to leave it laying where it is and move on to something else? Or is he going to take it and put it back exactly the way it was? And at five years old, I'll take 50-50 on that, right? Because because meeting him where he is, like you said, I should. there's no real ex, realistic expectation that he's going to take care of all of his stuff perfectly all the time because none of us do, right? Oh, I would log months, consecutive months, mm -hmm. without cleaning my room as a kid. My dad sure. was, if my dad lived in the house, he probably would have had a say about that. But I mean, it just was not important to me at all. So it's like hard for me to even like, right. that's not even my example. Like I would never really tell him to clean the room. Cause I'm like, man, that's the biggest hypocritical. Sure. Thing. <laughs> I don't sure that's yeah. And, and, and I'm glad you brought up being hypocritical because so much of, of our urge as parents is to fulfill the prophecy of do as I say, not as I do. And that does not, has not, and never will work. They're right. going to model who we are and what we do rather than follow our instructions. For and sure. and I believe that the way to to raise a people pleaser who's who's all their self-confidence and self-concept is based on acceptance from other people is to use the do as I say, not as I do approach. Because now this isn't about you empowering you to take care of your stuff or to grow and develop it. It's about did you do the thing that I told you to do? And I'm either going to be pleased or displeased with you. Right? And, and I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups and social media, stuff like that with dads. And, and there's a lot of the, the, um, it, it's very apparent who wasn't hurt as a child because they're bragging about how they don't listen to their kids. You know, mm -hmm. my kid will do this cause he knows I'll light him up if I don't. And there's even, there's a, a, a significant number of social media influencers who are in the, the parent coaching field. Um, I'm not going to name names or anything, but the, the majority of them are coming at it from a place of, I was overweight and out of shape and had addiction issues and I was letting my family down. And then something clicked in my mind and I got in the gym and I started taking care of my body. And then I, there's, you know, as you do that, of course, there's going to be an overlap into other areas of your life because what's actually happening there is internally, you're becoming a different person. Um, the person who gets up at four in the morning and goes to the gym is not fundamentally the same as the person who sleeps all the way up to the snooze button. And then you see them driving down the, the, uh, the road on their way to work in a car when it's frosted over and they've got this much of the, <laughs> the ice scraped off and they're trying to do that. That's the snooze button crowd, right? Those are fundamentally different people and you can become one versus the other. And I think that a, a lot of the guys that I see that are in that space think that the key was going to the gym, but it's not. The key is the, the shift that they made internally to become the guy that goes to the gym. And then much like 
I learned about um, the, the, the gym the, is like an on ramp. It's an on ramp yeah. to alter your relationship with yourself, and then in turn, that radiates into the other aspects of your life, and it alters yeah. relationship with the other people, especially your, your loved ones, and even your environment or your relationship with uh, work or rest or, or whatever that you sure. Do. And 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 that's all great and beautiful. But I also see some of these guys on there talking about how their kids have bad attitudes, and I'll and some of them have made videos of them with their kids who are like younger and they're they're on social media on video shaming a child into doing something to improve their attitude and i'm like and they're like well see it worked and i'm like it worked in the short term you know but but you know when that's kind of dark when you know 25 30 years from now when they're not coming to christmas dinner and they're not bringing their grand your grandkids around we can trace it back to this you know there are those moments that happen like that and so um I have to constantly remind myself that those guys are doing the best that they can do with what they've got. And, and they, they just don't know what they don't know. And they, and going to the gym, like you said, it's a wonderful thing. I will never tell anybody not to go to the gym, but that is the moment for them that had the same impact on their identity and their, their mental processes as that nail drive moment was for me. It's just a different perspective on it. Cause we're saying the same thing. You, your mind controls your body. And if you have the mindset that you can roll out of the bed at four 30 in the morning to be in the gym by five, that's a powerful place to be. But that's, that's, that's the hammer, right? Mm-hmm. And if, if all you have is a hammer, then the whole world turns into a nail. What if that's not the exact tool, right? Cause, cause how's the how's the old thing the old marketing saying go people people don't want to buy a drill they don't buy a drill because they want a drill they buy a drill because they want to be able to put a hole in a wall right the drill's not the thing the hole in the wall so that i can hang the picture that's the thing and i think that it it can become very easy to, to put all your attention on the on the tool and and see it in the short term but not think about the long term repercussions of it um i've i've had friendly and not so friendly debates with, with people with similar attitudes. Um, and they'll be spouting off all this just like parroted generational stuff. And I'll be like, so what, what is your favorite book or the most recent book that you've read on child brain development or on child behavioral development? Yeah. And, 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 and to a man, they have, they either stop, it goes crickets or they're like, what I have to have a degree in psychology to be able to have this comment. I'm like, no, I ask you, but have you read a book? And then like, in my mind, it's like, when was the last time you read an actual book? Yeah. You know, well, the thing is, topic? you know, it's tough. Like we parenting is like, you know, arguably the most, one of the most important jobs that exist. And mm-hmm. you go through the traditional school system and there's no real education on that. And, you know, some of us might get lucky with the parents you got, and some of us might get lucky where someone inspires you to scroll down like the self-help genre mm-hmm. in a bookstore or stumble upon like an inspiring motivational speaker or whatever. But uh, for most men, you know, we're the conversation that the conversations that we need um, and the education isn't like naturally integrated into our culture and our society. Mm-hmm. Not yet. And that's why it's it's exciting. Like I'm. I'm glad to hear that you're uh, contributing to that. You're creating a place for conversation so dads can uh, learn from each other and then let that word spread. Because I do think 
dads, uh, there's a lot of runway in front of dads in general to improve. And I think society is way better off with better dads. I mean, I was reading um, not long ago that the number one factor that correlates to whether a young man or boy, teenager, whatever, um, winds up committing crime is, is their father in the household. Mm-hmm. And so much of that relies on just in general, men's ability to have healthy relationships and understand what that's like. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that might even, you know, really still love and care for the mother of their kids, but don't know how to have a evolving, growing, healthy relationship because where do we learn that stuff? Exactly. Exactly. So, so there's, um, you know, there's there's a need for a conversation. So I, I applaud you for taking the step that you are. It, it essentially that. too, because you're a dad, a first time dad at an age where you've already picked up a lot more like um, understanding and wisdom about your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others in general compared to what's at what's typical, what's average. Mm-hmm. So your insights could provide, you know, a different um, perspective than what a lot of people are used to hearing, um, especially in contrast to what else is out there, like these influencers that you reference, you know, they're probably not 54 year old with a, with their first kids five, you know, yeah, they're, my guess yeah. is they're younger. Yeah, they're younger. And they grew up in a with a different environment because they, mm-hmm. you know, more exposure to all the crap that's online and such. But the technology, it goes both ways. Like it is an accelerator. So yeah, it could accelerate the voice of someone that might not be spreading a great message, but also it could accelerate a good message in a way that couldn't, uh, you know, I used the reference a long time ago that if you pick up an important lesson, like let's say your dad taught you something that really stuck with you and you were like seven years old and fishing on a pier with him, and he had some words of wisdom, you know, it might be, decades before like you share that and for like the third person another decade before the third person (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. gets any value out of the lesson you got whereas now um you can convey a message and rapidly spread a useful piece of information through a a network of you know minds that are interested and um and i think that can make the the world a better place yeah, that's that's the beauty of the age that we live in now, right? Like like I said earlier, when I was first exposed to the idea of being bigger and stronger, there was no internet. No one knew Arnold was. There were no gyms, you know, and 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 I'm grateful that things have evolved the way that they have. And and it it fires me up to think about okay, 50 or 100 or 200 years from now, where's technology going to be in a place? Cuz everyone largely everyone there's this huge thing like, well, we have all this technology, but it's doom and gloom. You know, AI is going to take over and, and you know, Skynet and, <laughs> you know, all of that sort of stuff. But like, what is the, what's the upside to it? You know, when we talk about the good old days, no, the good old days involved, if I wanted to talk to you, I had to pay like 35 cents a minute to have a long distance phone call with you. And that was my best option, right? If I wanted to look you in the eye, I had to drive or fly to come see you, right? And so, you know, we have to, 
we have to embrace technology and use it as a tool because that's all it is. It's just a tool. Technology itself is amoral, it, it, but how I use it, that's a reflection of me as a person. And um, I, I did want to say, like, like it's relevant to what we were just talking about. Um, people who go to the gym and they decide that they're going to get themselves in, in shape, there's like two fundamental paths you can take there. There's like, I'm going to just figure this out on my own. Those people wind up either getting no results or injured or whatever, almost by and large. Or I'm going to find someone who knows what they're doing and have them guide me, whether that's, you know, buying a product or having a friend who knows what they're doing to come in and guide you or hiring a coach, whatever. And those are the two paths that we can take. One is I'm just going to figure this out as I go. The other one is I'm going to learn from someone and do the the proverbial standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Same thing's true with, with running a business. Like when you decided... Let's just use a slice of that. When you decided to start doing a podcast, did you just like, well, I'm going to start doing a podcast. I'm just going to figure all this out. I'm not going to look up or research how any of this stuff works. I'm just going to go do it. Because if it did, that would take you years, right? You probably, um, if, if you did like I'm doing my stuff, I'm like, okay, what's the best way to to record these things? What's the best way to you know upload them to the internet and get them to people? What's the best way to to structure something so that I can deliver the message I want to learn? What's the best equipment to use for me at the stage that I'm in right now? So we go and we look that up and we we draw on other people's experiences and it makes our experience fast track. So we're able to, to kind of condense time that way. So, or like from marketing, business standpoints, whatever, any of those things. And by and large, a lot of the attitude that I see from dads is, well, don't tell me how to parent. I've got it all figured out. Well, what book have you read? I've never read any book, you know. My dad took care of everything. And to me, that is like saying, okay, my dad was a pilot. He took me up in airplanes when I was a little kid. My uncle knew how to fly. My grandfather was a pilot. Um, my, uh, my, my brother went to school and he's a pilot. So I'm just going to get in this plane and fly it. I've never even read a book on how to fly a plane. You want to come fly with me? I'm going to, we're going to go fly. And, and anyone with any sense would say, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, why not? Because the likelihood of us not making it out of there okay is huge because you don't know what you're doing. Perfectly reasonable, perfectly logical. And yet when we're talking about taking this little tiny ball of flesh that shows up in our lives and dominates our existence because we have to take care of this child and we're responsible for its development for decades. No, I'm just going to wing that. I don't need any help from anybody else. That to me is willful ignorance, which I think is the highest form of arrogance. You know, to be in a place where I'm like, I know a little bit about this. I don't need to know anything else about it, even though it's incredibly important. Shut up and stop telling me how to live my life. That is like the highest form of ignorance to me. So go ahead. So what you're going to say? Well, one, there's there's nothing that could truly prepare you. So you could like read all the it's interesting how Mother Nature does it, where you have nine months to get ready, but mm -hmm. you ain't going to be ready. Mm -hmm. So everybody's going to learn on the job a little bit. But, um, you know, it, it's interesting, like the. It's like they're teaching you about yourself as much as you like just as much as you need to learn from any kind of book or mentor anyway so you know it's a it's like a living organism you know that takes place when you have that kid and you know some people never really recognize this they never turn to their kids to look at them being teacher i mean you mentioned something there <laughs> your son was teaching you in a way before he 
before he arrived, but they're really our greatest teachers. And it comes Absolutely. in it comes in all kinds of forms. It's not just it's not just like how I need to hold myself for them, like the expression, you know, the tone in my voice or whatever, because I could see their reaction. But like if you look at what kids will do naturally, I feel like they hold so many of the kind of I don't want to say like there's a there's like a fountain of youth like do see what a little kid does mm -hmm. and do that like you mentioned the importance of being able to show your emotion like a, a kid will be quick to cry like quick to dance quick to scream quick doesn't really care what other people think about them they they're quick to get dirty get on the floor roll around you know it's um there's so much for us to learn from mm -hmm. them. Absolutely. I read in a, a book once it said, your kid is here to teach you how to love yourself so that you could then in turn learn to love them unconditionally. Because mm -hmm. like what you mentioned, how you reference how some other people will parent, how there's all this judgment built into there. It's not that like people want to judge their kids. They, they want to, they want their kid to to know that they're loved. Yeah. But they don't know how to do that because, because of like, say like if you, you got to get lucky or you got to have just enough awareness to say, this is something I need to learn about mm -hmm. and then seek out those books. But the more tools we have to learn, the better. And I applaud you for entering the arena in that. And I look forward to seeing how that process unfolds with you dave um i want to thank you for taking the time today this has been great it's been great to kind of meet you kind of face to face um yeah uh after knowing of you for for so long if people want to find out more you've mentioned a couple places to get books if they want to connect with you and learn more about maybe uh, your programs where's the best place to reach out the best place out? The best place to just find me is on any of the very social media outlets. I am Iron Tamer across the board on everything. Instagram, TikTok, uh, my name, Dave Whitley on Facebook. Um, that's probably the the fastest way to get like direct contact with me and send me a message or whatever. Um, if anybody, like I said earlier, if anybody is interested in any of the stuff that I've talked about and they want to potentially come be on my show, irontamer at gmail.com, send me an email, we'll talk about it. Um, um, put in like the subject line that I heard you on the show, you know, <laughs> unless the show or whatever. And so that's all good. But for just website wise, if you want the book, superhumanubook.com, I'm happy to send that out. Um, and for the stuff that we've been talking about for the past little bit regarding the advancing man project and specifically the, the parenting journey that I'm on would be advancing man project slash join is the way it's set up right now. And I guess since I'm saying that, then then we need to keep it that way. Um, that just puts you on the email list. I don't have anything set up there yet to, to, you know, if you give me the email, I'll send you something. I don't have any of that stuff set up for that site, but that's probably something I should, should get together before the end of the month now. And, and right now, those episodes you said are solely on YouTube. Yes. All, all the, all the stuff for the show is on YouTube. Okay. Well, thanks again, Dave. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time. And for the listeners out there, always grateful for your listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you, especially if you know a young father out there, please share it. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks a bunch.